Sometimes I work with somebody in therapy who's so resistant to the process that my only goal for the therapy to begin with is to give them a positive experience in therapy. I'll show you fucking card tricks. It's like, <laughs> I'll do whatever I need to do for, if, if for that particular person, if it's going to give you a pleasant experience with, with this process so we can get going. It's a matter of just, where do we even fucking start? It starts right here, deep in your heart. Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger bring over 90 years of clinical experience to this important podcast, and they offer you a guarantee. You will gain something of personal value from each episode. And now, what matters most. It starts right here. Welcome back to Start Right Here. I'm Tom Rutledge. With me is my partner in crime, Dr. Alan Berger, uh, and our wonderful producer, Patrick Newman, who's been a big part of, of this ongoing conversation. And last week we had Dr. Michael McGee on, and we just were having a, such a good time with him and learning so much. We asked him to come back. It seemed like he might have some things to contribute to our conversation that we've been having off and on here since uh, all of the political unrest is in, in this year, with beginning with January 6th, just talking about what do we do? How, how might we contribute to healing, healing the nation? It's easy to talk about that, but how to do that. And then we kind of took that conversation a little bit farther into dealing, talking about uh, work, talking with family members and, and friends that loved ones that are polar or different positions than we are. And I think Mike, and it turns out Michael has some things to say about that and has, has dealt with some of that himself. And I think, I think you guys, since we last met Patrick, you and Michael have had some conversation about that. So maybe there's some of that that you guys can bring into us, but uh, that's why we have, that's why we have, uh, uh, besides the fact that he's just a fun guy, uh, Michael McGee back, back with us again. So, but first, how are you doing, Alan? Well, I, I just come back from Palm Desert. Yes, I had a small vacation. We we rented a place with a pool, and so I've been sitting in the sun and jumping in the pool and playing some tennis. And a happy man right now. <laughs> time, and I had recharged the battery a lot. Mm. And, uh, I'm really, really, really glad to be here. And I was really looking forward to this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, Michael. Uh, the discussion we had last time, I think, was really, really powerful because, you, you know, you're giving people a way of of taking a look at themselves mm -hmm. in a way that they can suspend that judgment. And that's such a challenge. I mean, I've seen it so many times. Like, I'll never forget this one guy that would come to therapy with his wife. And there was a part of him that really, really wanted to try to improve the relationship with her. And the challenge was, is that he had so much difficulty holding on to himself when she was complaining about some of the things that were missing for her in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so he'd come into therapy and it, it was always, it's always an interesting thing to me. And not that this isn't part of a solution, but he'd say, 
do we have to come in and talk about these problems all the time? And, you know, when his wife is saying, well, look, I don't like paying Dr. Berger all this money to just tell you how wonderful you are. I mean, I can do that at home and not have to pay these, these exorbitant fees, right? I'd much, rather, I'd much rather sit. But in his head, it was so hard to, to be able to integrate that, right? And to be able to say, and and, you know, one of the things I say to people all the time when they're in that position, I said, look, in many ways, it's great news that she's still complaining to you. And then a guy always looks at me and said, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what do you mean that's good news? I said, because it means she hasn't given up. You see, she's still hopeful that there's a way to find a connection, albeit, you know, there, there, she might be able to do this with what, what Gottman called a, a softer startup, Right you know, where he talked about the soft startup. But I said, but you can also sidestep that. You don't have to be dependent on what she's saying and saying, you know, look, when she's bringing these things up to me, it means I'm important to her. And that what's missing is really painful for her. And sometimes that reframe can help. Now, I can't say it's worked all the time, but there's times when, because look, it is true, right? Because we are important to our partners. If something's missing, they want to turn to us, mm -hmm. which is what I want. I want my wife to turn to me when she's struggling with something that's missing. And, you know, sometimes I'm more available for that than others, especially when I'm feeling better. Like right now, my wife, when I come out of this session, she can tell me whatever she wants to tell me. I'm feeling great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, my battery's recharged. Right, I'm, t I'm texting Jess right now. It's like, oh, I'm just, no, I <laughs> I take it back. I take this it is, back. This is an excellent time to talk to Alan about. <laughs> hey, remember that resentment you shared with me? That's that right. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, so look, this dialogue that, that, that we want to get into today about, like, what do we do to deal with these incredible polarizations? You know, it's like we're, we're, we've gone through the Civil War again. Families are divided like I've never seen in, in my lifetime. And that I imagine back when the North and South were, were in war, there was these families where one person would be on the, the Northern Army and the other person would be on the Southern Army. And, you know, how did these families heal those kinds of wounds, right? So, Michael, I'd love to hear your, your beginning thoughts about this, and then we'll kick it around together. Well, it's great to be here with you all again. Thank you for, for letting me join you. You know, it's, it's so funny. I, I, I really relate to what you're saying about, about judgment and, um, and uh, uh, you know, in, in a couple situation, uh, uh, you know, really um, when, when uh, our, our partner asks something of us, right, and they, 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 we, can, we can so quickly to not not sort of judge that as a bad situation or that we're bad because they want something from us that we're not giving giving them um so yeah so i might i had a hike today with a friend of mine and we were talking about about how a lot of this that what's going on is uh this judging of each other uh and uh we have to be kind as we do this because we all do it we all judge so uh one of the things is to start off right out off the bat is that as we begin to look at this is to not judge our judging. Um, so uh, that I just want to start with that is judging happens. Uh, we're all batting each other and ourselves all the time. And uh, we shouldn't um, hate ourselves for hating. We shouldn't judge ourselves for judging. Uh, these are just things that, that, that come up. You know, I, I personally, uh, in terms of this pol political thing, 
I, it was about two months ago and uh, our neighbors in the neighborhood had a block party and everybody got together. And um, a lot of our neighbors are, we, we live in a neighborhood which is not diverse. It's more upper white, middle-class, retired executive type people. And, and a lot of them are, are having to be more conservative. Um, and so we went to this party and everybody was, um, was, a lot of the people were inside the garage um, it was a potluck party and everybody was gathered in the garage and none of them were wearing masks. And there was this one guy in there with a, with a Trump um, Pence shirt on. And I, I freaked out. I freaked out. I was like, uh, these people are, are insane. These are intelligent, successful people. What are they doing? This is reckless. This is, they, they could be potential manslaughter. And, and I went into such a, a judging, judging, judging place of mind. Um, so I just want to start with that by, 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 by saying that, that I have been struggling with, with my own judgmentalness around on this. I'm not, I'm not a liberal. I'm, I, you know, I'm a nothing. I think the biggest problem that I see with all of this is that that we other each other and we make each other into categories, um, racism, right? Uh, and then there's politicism now, and then there's nationalism, and then there's religionism. We're always cutting each up into categories, and we're doing that with politics now in a way that is profoundly destructive. I mean, I think over time, uh, othering other people and tribalism, maybe that was really evolutionarily adaptive for us for the past maybe 50,000 years or so, as we've seen the rise and fall of empires and competitiveness and all that. So I, I can see how othering others has been beneficial maybe, at, but at a great cost in terms of human suffering. But now for us to be othering each other, um, the way that we are politically is really leading to a great degradation of our society. And I, I must imagine that the China, Chinese and the, and the Russians are just absolutely delighted to see the way that, 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 that things like the polarization of media and social disinformation uh, and, uh, you know, the politically driven nature of the way that we're uh, fed different kind of information uh, and the demonization that we have of each other now that, that I myself have participated in, I'm afraid. So I have a, I have a far right-wing brother, and um, I sent him a piece um, by Rebecca Solnit that was um, entitled something about, um, I think it was, uh, on not meeting the Nazis halfway. And boy, that was like stirring up a hornet's nest when I did that. I had no idea when I sent it to my family the kind of response that I was going to get from my brother, Mark and Mark just, I mean, he just, he just really, really reacted uh, very. And, and I think on my part to do that was very unskillful because uh, I had no idea what, what, what I was, what I was doing and creating. Hey, what was her thesis, Michael? What was her, what was her point she was making in her? Basically, you know, Rebecca Solnit is a very good writer, but what she's saying is that basically the, she, she equated, in some ways, the, the right with, with Nazis. And she, requa she equated conservative people with being maybe racist or sexist or xenophobic or misogynist or homophobic or transphobic, all these things. And um, it's just not true. I thought, you know, when I went back and reread it, um, 
you know, it, it may be true that conservative people ha- are more prone to being that way, but there's a lot of wonderful, loving conservative people. And I noticed that I, I have some of my values are conservative. I, uh, so um, I, I, think, I think that, you know, she made a good point that, that you really don't want to compromise on core values that have to do with what I would call love-based values. I, I agree with her on that. You don't want to compromise and say, okay, it's okay to hate, it's okay to harm, it's okay to, you know, to cut people off and dehumanize them. It, I, her point about that was very, very good. But casting that in terms of a left-right just further adds to this sort of narrative of, of one side being bad and the other side being good. And, and my brother was very clear that, that he really sees liberals as, 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 as really, um, as really, I, I think the narrative is is that the right feels hurt by the liberals who call them racists and all that kind of thing, and they see the liberals as wanting to take away their freedom, and and uh, wanting to force a sort of a collectivism on them, which which deprives them of their rights and their individualism, and so um, whoops, um, and so um, uh, really whoops. My computer is doing funny things. And so, and so anyway, um, you know, really uh, getting beyond those kinds of narratives is really important. So I went back and I, I, I found a couple of organizations, braverangels.org and betterarguments.org that are facilitating dialogues between, uh, between each other. And I, and I realized, you know, we, we had a conservative couple over, uh, some friends of ours named Gary and Charla, and they're they're really they're they're quite conservative, and so we engaged in this wonderful talk about politics, and we kind of came up with each other that it was so important to sort of set some ground rules, and and I'm, I'm sort of harking back to um, Saint Francis of Assisi, um, and you know in his prayer he said it is better to love than to be loved, and it is better to understand than to be understood. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought, okay, that's a good place to start. Uh, and, uh, and maybe if we had this genuine desire on each other's part to truly and deeply understand each other, and then maybe if we started by wanting to seek to understand before we judge. Um, you know, when I was doing clinical work at a methadone clinic, um, one of the things we used to always talk about with these challenging patients was the issue of contempt prior to investigation contempt prior to investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we had to sort of exercise sort of a clinical discipline to really, because people would come in with all sorts of provocative stuff that they'd done. And sure, a lot of times they were behaving in destructive and unskillful ways, but you don't start out with contempt prior to investigating what's going on. And I think there's a lot of that that's going on now in families and, and in our country. You know, one of the things is we get our blinders on. And, you know, and I think the problem with we're talking about religion or, or politics or, or nationalism or anything else, it's exclusivity. It's not it's not what you believe. It's that as you believe that, you know, it's not enough that I be right, but that you must be wrong. I have a friend in Texas that I went to college with a long time ago. And I'm, you know, I am, I would say pretty liberal and, uh, and, um, when we, during the election, uh, when the, the uh, results were coming in, you know, I live in rural Tennessee, so it's like, you know, this we're we're voting for Trump. You know, we're voting we're voting Republican here. It's like it's like, uh, but but she sent me she sent me a, something about uh, 
you know, the little, the little markers of where the election was going. And she said, these aren't your people. And, but I had a, you know, as a first as a humorous response, but then I realized and, and, and actually realized I was, it was true. I said, they are, but that's the weird thing is they are when I go to Walmart, you know, because these are the people I'm hanging out with and thoroughly enjoying at, at the, at what I call the general store. You know, these are the ones that are I'm in the line with, especially with COVID. When you know the few times I go out, we you know, mo and most of them have masks on. We get there, and that this is our you know social life. It's like I love these people, you know. And every now and then, it, the the conversation launches into something that I'm uncomfortable with, and I realize I don't want to go there with that person because it's gonna it's gonna disrupt it's gonna disrupt my love for this person. Uh, but the the idea was, it's like if we how can we hold on to that bigger picture? You know, because these are good people, you know, it's like and and they I believe they believe the same thing about me. Are they OK? But and I'm thinking about this in the context of myself as well. Mm -hmm. Are they good to you or are they good to me? But are they also mm -hmm. good to that gay person or that black? Or I'm, not, I'm not even I'm not. Yeah, I'm just thank you, Patrick. No, I'm saying my subject. That's a good way to describe that. No, my subjective response and in, in interaction with these people is they're good. They're good people. It's, it's like, yeah, no, I is truth is if we start looking at value systems and things like that, then we're going to have all kinds of disagreements. Um And then, then we have to, then when it's also we also get into the murky mess of of looking at you know, un, well, what we do in therapy, which is understanding how did you get to be there? Because we we, whatever we believe, we came by it honestly. And somehow right. we have to be able to have a conversation where, where some of us will be open to. And, and if you have open conversation, sometimes we're going to change. We're going to be in the uncomfortable situation of changing our mind about some things. Let's hope so. I mean, it, it's really good, I think, to sort of just assume we're wrong. We don't know how we're wrong. Investigation yes. before contempt, right? I, I really like that. And did your investigation of your brother reveal anything as you started to kind of unpack the difference? And is there anything you could speak to about that? Well, I think he, had, he you know, he has a lot of, a lot of good points, um, I think. Um, you know, I, I watched this movie called Trump Card. Um, have, have you guys seen Trump Card? Mm -mm. It, it's 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 basically a a really political sort of documentary, if you will, by by a right very right wing Dinesh D'Souza, um, who I guess was committed um, uh, and uh, and convicted actually, and then Trump pardoned him. <laughs> so Dinesh D'Souza, and you know his portrayal. Um, uh, they, they really see the liberals as as um, as really as a threat, um, and, and I could sort of see that there's sort of like this dialectic, like like collectivism versus individualism, right? Uh, there there's there's some need uh, for a balancing of of, of that dialectic um, between those two. So I was able to see that from Mark's point of view that he feels real threatened and and feels that liberals are just impractical and he's this fear of, of socialism and that they'll just take everybody's uh, that will have a, you know, Lenin and Stalin again, and just really, really, really extreme stuff. And, 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 and so I, I just saw a lot of fear and mistrust and that was really, really helpful to see. But I think, you know, I think, I think that um, this issue around needing to be right, um, is really a problem. Um, and again, I think that links to, we're so uncomfortable with uncertainty. We wanna have a worldview and we want to, and the idea that our way of seeing things may be wrong 
is extraordinarily anxiety provoking. Uh, that we like certainty and we like simplicity. And then I came across this piece in Scientific American on brain scans that were done on liberals and conservatives and looking at sort of psychological testing of liberals and conservatives. And I came up with this realization that conservative and liberal brains are different from each other. And people who are more conservative they like things to be black and white. They're not comfortable with ambiguity or shades of gray or paradox. They're not. And they're, they're more phobic about novelty and risk-taking. Uh, they're more a uh, conservative brain wants things to sort of stay the same and very, very hesitant about change. Where a liberal brain is more interested in novelty and experimentation and sort of nuance and shades of gray, and I just think it's striking that, that we have evolved from us. You know, when I, when I took socio, social, social biology when I was at Stanford, um, I learned that these kinds of traits, like, like, um, like the neuro, the, these sort of neurotypes that, that we have, that these, these evolved for a reason. Nature has evolved us to have these different kinds of, of populations with different kinds of brains that there's an intelligence to it, to this. So the conservatives and the liberals need each other. And if we had that kind of understanding that there's a dynamic tension and that, and that one would be a disaster without the other, then I think there would be a lot more mutual respect um, if that were the case. And the other thing I had a realization of is, you know, nobody chooses their brain right? Nobody chooses, makes a decision about how your brain constructs reality. And nobody chooses whether they have a liberal or a conservative brain. And so we need to have some compassion and understanding that the way that people construct reality and the way that they process reality is something that's not of their choice. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think that we can manage or we, you know, our our neurobiology and our and our pre predispositions. I think there's some principles like just being respectful to each other and seeking to understand each other, uh, and, and not demanding that another person change their mind, uh, but just acknowledging what's what's sort of valid and validating each other. People love to be validated, and seeking to really base decisions on agreed upon facts because we really have a virus of misinformation in our society right now, which is really probably the greatest threat to our democracy. Well, uh, you just you just said you just used a word that, that Alan Alan uses a lot. I use it more since I've been hanging out with the guy. It's it's but and it goes and it goes to the, the the emotional sobriety principles that we talk about here. It's like it's like and the word was dem demand. It's like, you know, we talk about demand versus preferences. Uh it is um that's that is I mean that's there needs, there has to be room for everybody. I mean, it's like, and, I, and I'm not making an argument and I appreciate, and Patrick, you, you, you kind of hold me to the, to, 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 to the, to task when, when it becomes like, I'm not, I'm not arguing for, you know, certain things that I, uh, there are certain things I believe that are wrong in terms of the, the, the morality of how we treat people, but, but I'm looking for a way sort of into the solution. And one of those has to be, we have to let go of having a demand that somebody is going to, to, to think differently than they are. 
it's such an interesting discussion, this thing, because the struggles of this are, are manifested at all kinds of levels. You know, it's mm-hmm. funny. We started off this conversation about talking about a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every relationship, in my opinion, when the people are having a conflict, a couple are having a conflict, it's always negotiating how much togetherness versus separateness that they can tolerate in their relationship. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So then when you start going up to this, let's say you start to rise up so, and you start to look at this in, in terms of the bigger picture, like society or politics and stuff. Well, aren't we talking about a similar conflict? Mm-hmm. You know, you couched it in terms of collectivism versus individualism. Yeah. And, you know, our society, our, our culture was founded on a strong defiance to England. We were saying, you aren't going to tell us what to do. You aren't going to impose your ideas on, on how we are and your taxes, and we're not going to put up with it. So this country was born out of this defiance of we're going to be our own people. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. Well, you can't just have a society that's focused on individualism. Like you said, Michael, if, you know, if, if you get two narcissists together in a relationship and it's all about them, they have a hell of a relationship, man. It just doesn't work. You know, you've got one person who's, you know, demanding what they want and usually another person trying to find a way to cooperate. But, you know, look, in a healthy relationship, there's room for both people to say what they want, to stand for what they want. You know, what do we talk about, Tom? Room enough for two, right? Mm -hmm. We we see in a healthy relationship, there's room enough for two. That takes a hell of a lot of work to get people mature enough, differentiated enough to be able to embrace a consciousness that, what, encourages, enhances that kind of a connection. I I just pulled up that website because I love, you know, learning about new things. And, and so, so that arguing better, the the better arguments project. So first of all, they say the three dimensions of arguing better is first of all, put everything in a historical context. They say today's civic arguments are rooted in history arguments, arguments being able to reckon with the differences and, and forge joint solutions are critical to a healthy American civil life. Well, we all believe that. Just like a couple has to find a way to use their to use their conflict to forge a better connection. We know that's possible. That conflict in a relationship isn't necessarily bad. It can help people get closer together if they meet it and they digest the conflict in the right way. The second thing is bring emotional intelligence, which they say. Um, a better argument is one in which all participants use emotional intelligence, understanding why the other party has taken a certain stance rather than immediately negating the other person's position. So this goes back to what we were saying before. And then the third one is they say you got to recognize when there is a power differential. So those are that's the context they want to put that in. But here's their five principles. Take winning off the table, prioritize relationships over them being right and wrong and listen passionately, pay attention to context, embrace vulnerability, and make room to transform. I mean, my God, that's good couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what, you know, when I hear Tom talking about what he tries to do in relationship therapy mm-hmm. and what I try to do yeah. in relationship therapy. So all I'm saying is, is that 
to me, the struggle is, is we're still an incredibly immature society. One of the things that I've been noticing for years and years and long before uh, what's going on right now, began writing about how the very principles of what we do in therapy apply to all relationships across the board, including national and global politics. And, you know, and so as, as I'm listening, as we're all talking about all this, I mean, there's, it's just overwhelming the problems that have are, that are have not been successfully addressed and what's but what's the key when we're in therapy the key is communication you know that's where we always are focusing we're going you know even if it's just an individual because we're i'm we're focusing on the intrapersonal communication what what are the various aspects of yourself thinking with that and that's that's part of you know and i have um um i don't it's 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 i have i have a short uh, download it on my website called therapy for politics that is just about that. And, and it's, it, um, it, one of the main things is, is if we can just, it's not about going for the globe, the big problems to be solved, but it's about how do we begin a communication? How can we think about things that we, and what I always, and you and I have talked about this, Alan, well, we, we, we each have our own language about it, but we do the same thing. I ask for couples to find, I say, I'm always listening for points of agreement. Let's find out what we have in common. You were, you were referring to that too, Michael. It's like, like, where do, where do we agree? And it's, it's like, you know, for me, a lot of times the communication stuff and the stuff I've written about politics is, can we agree that what we want is to solve problems? Yeah, well, I was what I was going to suggest is, you know, uh, if we take the relationship counseling analogy to its logical conclusion, I mean, how much progress is attainable if both participants in the counseling, you know, aren't willing to agree right. on that, you know, uh, those battlefield uh, conditions? Well, see, it's not agreeing on the battlefield conditions. It's more about does the other person's position cross a line that you're no longer willing to tolerate. So, see, it's not that we're saying that we just got to be able to embrace. Look, the the folks, thank God, there was a group of people in world, you know, before World War II in the United States that said, there's a danger over there with Hitler. And if we don't get involved in this, and listen, there were a lot of people that were still advocating for isolationism right. and for us not to get involved in the war. In fact, when FDR, when that vote went about the Lend-Lease program to Britain, went before the Senate, he was scared to death that he was going to lose that. Mm-hmm. That Lindbergh had been so active in, in promoting an isolationism and in downplaying the threat in terms of Germany and Hitler, partly because, you know, Lindbergh had a lot of friends over in Berlin and it was connected in so many ways over there. So he didn't assess it in the same way that people that weren't somehow invested in that relationship. That vote went to the Senate. 38 people out of the Senate still voted to not get involved. Mm-hmm in World yeah. War II, to not start loaning equipment to England to prevent Germany from being able to conquer England. I mean, that's to me, when I look back at that, it's a mind blower on my part. Now, when we look at it, were they wrong? Oh, yes. Did we have to get involved? <laughs> there is no question we had to get involved. Hitler was evil. And the way that he was looking at people and talk about othering people, I, I call it, he made, he made people that were outside of, 
of his world. It's so he could mm-hmm. do whatever he wanted to them because they weren't people. When it comes to, uh, you know, acknowledging everyone's opinion uh, rather than respecting everyone's opinion or all opinions, because I don't think all opinions are created equal. Every argument needs to be judged on the merits. I really liked Michael's list of um, mutual respect, seeking to understand each other, seeking to understand, be understood while not demanding that the other person change their mind, um, acknowledging each other's points of view, validating each other, seeking to base discussions on agreed upon facts, being open to seeing things differently, to being influenced by each other, common sense, uh, humility, open-mindedness, agreeing to disagree without making each other bad, seeking common ground and common values. And um, there needs to be a meeting in the middle, I think, if there's two aggrieved parties. Let's say we were having a discussion with someone in Germany that says that there's no question that the Jews have to be eradicated. See, that's where this becomes a challenge in terms of, like, and how we can bring it to our thing is that when the immigrants were treated in the way they were at the border and you started separating children from families. That became pretty scary to me. I got scared when I saw that. I really did. I got scared because first of all, there was, and I was very upset with the American Psychological Association that they weren't down there beating pots and pans about the deleterious effects that this was going to have on these. Yeah, that was traumatic. That well, was very traumatizing. The trauma that they've introduced into those kids, I mean, lives. And, you know, and look, some of the kids died because they were in the conditions they were in. It was it was a bad deal. And I, I would have a trouble acknowledging anybody and what their values were that would support that kind of an intervention. See, that's the stuff where my limitations show up. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't I can't see it. I just. I just don't see doing that as, as a great policy in terms of now, if you, if you want to say, Hey, you know, maybe we got to pay attention and tighten up our immigration in some way and these kinds of things, but let's not do that to families with kids. I mean, that's my value right there that I just value that attachment that a kid has to his parents. I think that you're right. And, and where do we draw the line on values? Because people do have different values, right? Like, like around uh, around life, um, there are these right to lifers. They really believe that that the human life is so sacred that nobody has the right to do an abortion. That that is murder. Uh, if you've got a fertilized cell, then it is their value and belief that that is murder, and and that people should not have a right to murder a child within them. And then on the other hand, you have the value of autonomy and. Yeah, you know, that, that really that's an individual choice about whether that's murder or not. And so you have one group wanting to impose their values on another. That's a tough discussion, right? And then yeah. you get people that are so extreme about that, they're going to show up and murder a doctor who's doing abortions. Very, very late term abortion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was he was 56. This this hurts my chest. This 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 uh, there are a couple of times in this conversation. I just, I just feel I can, you know, that feeling when you get when you have you, they're, they're they're not all the way out, but there are tears right here ready to, 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 to come out if I if I need them. It's uh, it's overwhelming. And that's not you know, that's of course it is. We know that. But it's like I'm, I'm sitting there saying, OK, here we are you know, uh, hopefully somewhat experts on communication. And what I'm saying, and I don't have a solution to this. I'm just saying, I'm saying, 
I, I think this is a microcosm of what we see. We have about, one of the things I tell people in communication stuff all the time is, is basically you can't put eight things out for discussion at one time. You know, because you're having all kinds of, I don't know how many topics are out here right now in what we're saying. There, there's way too many. It's like if we're in a straight ahead work situation, Alan and I just came out of a meeting that was about a publication thing. It's like we're taking one thing at a time. And if somebody else is overlapping that with this, we're going like, well, wait a minute, we, we'll talk about that in just a minute. We got to get that because we're going to accomplish things. But this stuff, because it is so emotional and because it is so big, you know, each of us has our, our perspective on this and we bring something up and it's like, I don't know how many topics are out on the table at one time, but it's like, it's not just one topic. And, and it's like, we we're expressing ourselves, but it's like, this is not problem solving. Yeah, no, that's why I would be interested to hear like, you know, how did Michael solve, you know, this disagreement with his brother and how do each of us, what do we bring of our own values to, because solving politics on the grand stage, that's nothing that either one of I, either of us are cut out to. Right. We're not going to do that. Yeah. Right, we're not gonna do it, certainly not in this hour, but um, I don't know how much more time do we have? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that work out with your brother, Michael? You know, did he respond well to your email? Well, you know, that's interesting. Mark hasn't responded yet. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if there is a response. You know, I put out the invitation to him. Um, and I will keep reaching out. And I've said explicitly to my family, to my, my parents and my sister and to Mark, um, that, you know, if we can find a way to come together uh, and to talk about these things in a way that, where, that, where we follow these principles, uh, maybe that would be one tiny thing that we could do that would help to heal our nation. Yeah. Um, and, and if we can do this in our families, then maybe that would be practice for them being able to do this outside of our families. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> but, but look, you know, where I was going to too with this, Patrick, is that not every couple should stay married. Right. Right. That it's, it's okay to say this, just this relationship just doesn't work for me. I mean, I'm not able to be the kind of person to make it work. I'm not saying blame it on the other person. You know, because I had a lot of trouble with this when I in rehab, when I saw a patient be brought in the room and, and being told that, well, you just don't want to get well, instead of the staff saying something mm-hmm. like, look, for whatever reason, we're not able to find a way to meet you to help you mm-hmm. get motivated enough to turn your life around. So, you know, we're sorry about this, but we just don't have the skill level and the experience and the know-how to help you turn things around. So instead of turning it into that the other person's wrong and bad and shame on you is to own it, is to just own it. You know, I have this trouble just like Michael does with his brother. My brother is very conservative, very conservative Christian, big Trumper, um, really loved Trump because of his pro-life position and the, and the decisions he's made to put people in different positions in you know, court and stuff like that judges to, to, to rule in that, in that direction. But, you know, when I'll try to bring up to him, you know, what do you think about what he's doing with these families down in, in the border? And, and, and there, he just can't, 
you know, he just can't wrap his head around that stuff. And I don't know if we're going to ever be able to heal that part because we're in such different places. And so it's just like, you know, and, and I'm just saying, I don't know if I can find a way to be okay with where he's at. And that's not making him wrong. It's just making me, I have limitations. I like, I couldn't be okay with someone that's saying we, we've, we've got to, you know, kill millions of Jews. I'm just not going to be able to tolerate that no matter what. That's just something that is so, you know, against my values. And yet, I went to Vietnam and I was fighting v- Viet Cong and these people didn't do anything to me like that. You know, Muhammad Ali said, they never hurt me. <laughs> Why do I want to go over there and fight them? But, you know, I was 18 at that time. I'm hopefully a lot more mature at this point in time. Today, I wouldn't go to that war. I'd be a conscientious objector in terms of Vietnam was on the table. That's why, it's, you know, so it's why they, that's why they took 18-year-olds, right? <laughs> because because of, of, of psychological, psychological development to, right. taught them that these guys could, you could, you know, you could do this. It's like you don't, you don't try to, to, uh, to, to draft a 30-year-old because because they're not they're, they're going to actually think for themselves some it's, uh, but i mean you know it's it's it reminds me of something that our friend in our in our meeting alan i'm combining our, our, our the meeting we just came out of our friend vince said about coming um when we when we were talking about about the the conversation we in on thursday from thursday night when michael was talking is that we the challenge there is to come to terms with who we are as individuals, as people, you know, all, all, you know, the, the, when the whole idea of we were, it was based on the, you know, uh, is evil, bad kind of that you were talking about, Michael. It's like, like the idea is when we realize what we're all capable of, it's like, now, now what I'm doing is I'm with this is I'm sitting here and I'm not claiming this is anything other than just saying, this is what I'm just, this, it's almost like we're on some drug and I'm, and I'm describing you my trip. Okay. This is what, this is what I'm seeing. It's like, it's like, it's, it's like what I'm seeing now is, is as an entire human race, the things that we begin to be aware of, of, of the capacity we have for, for everything from the most wonderful good to the the most horrible bad. And it's like, can we come to terms with that? It's kind of a bad trip. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, so funny. I hope you guys are familiar with Ken Wilber and Spiral Dynamics, but I've been very much influenced by his work. And, um, and and really, there gets to a point where in your evolution of your awakening and your spirituality, where you get to a point where you see it's all good. E- even the bad is good. And I know that sounds like paradoxical, um, but like I've struggled with my brother because I work at a state hospital and um uh, with people who have murdered and who raped and who's molested children. I work in a forensic hospital mm-hmm. with some pretty destructive people. I mean, and a lot of them are on life sentences. And I was talking to Mark about this and Mark said, well, you know, really anybody who's on a life sentence should just be murdered. They should be executed. And his, his reasoning behind that was that, um, it really more like term abortion. Well, you know, why, why would, why should I as a taxpayer, have to pay to keep these people alive. I don't want to do that. You know? So I, I mean, I find that, you know, obviously just, Oh, uh, my, my, my initial reaction to that is just, is just one of, uh, I, I don't agree with that at all. I, I, that is, I feel it's callous and uh, really kind of a very, very uh, cruel kind of value to have. Um, but man, that's where he's at. Right. And so, 
So how do I deal with that? You know, it's like it's like that's where he's at. So I, I think I think that um, that you know I, I had another patient yesterday who was, talk, who was talking about these kinds of issues, and he was talking about wanting to destroy government because government tries to repress everybody, and and um, and uh, and just repre- and government's bad, and it it's, doesn't do things right, and we need to have no government because government doesn't know how to do anything. And so I, I would say to my brother and, and to my patient, it's like, okay, you don't like the way things are. Can you participate? Can we participate creatively together in something that is better rather than hating something uh, that exists? Mm-hmm. Can we creatively create something out of love uh, that, that is better uh, than what we have? And I think that, that for myself personally, I don't think I'm going to get anywhere by hating people whose values I find abhorrent. But I think maybe personally for me, I want to dedicate myself to instead, you know, really trying to create something more positive based on more love-based values and putting that out into the world and working for that rather than working against something we find abhorrent. How do we do that? How, how, how can we do that? I think it comes from what about Bob, you know, in the, the movie, which it's baby steps. It's like, that's one of the, the wisdoms that came from that wonder, that wonderful, hilarious movie is everything. You know, I use that all the time in therapy, everything that's worth doing is done in baby steps. I mean, little bitty sometimes bringing the, you know, you and I, Alan, talk about the, the power of lowered expectations. You know, it's like, you don't, you don't take a flight of steps. You take well, the first step look, on the flight. I think that was one of the things that the founders of our nation tried to get right is they said, you know, they were so concerned with this idea of power mm-hmm. and any one branch of government wielding too much power, right? Because they saw what, what happened with the king. And so their vision is what we're kind of talking about is that, is that can you create a atmosphere, a climate that is going to allow for this kind of a discourse and for people to have all of these different views and ideas and still come together to form a United States, right? See, that was the hope of this country. And I think it's right. I mean, I think that part of that that experiment is the right idea right and they said look it's it's an experiment we're not going to get this thing right but we see things happening you know like recently you know we've never seen the executive branch take and command the kind of 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 power that trump did while he was in that presidential position, right? In terms of not, not complying with subpoenas, making certain decisions that he made. I mean, it's, and even at the end of this thing is that, you know, he violated the one gold standard of this whole thing, which was a peaceful transition of power. Mm-hmm. That was supposedly the ideal is that we would have like liberal conservative movements in the government and these waves would come in and start to balance each other out. But because we had a peaceful transition of power, we kept that movement going in a, what we would call a collaborative way, a cooperative way, Mm -hmm. instead of polarizing and say one's right and one's wrong. And that's where then you're going to grab the power, right? That's when you're going to go ahead and have the coup. That's when you're going to go ahead and try to, to, undo the constitution, you know, have an insurrection and stuff like that. So 
at some point you have to say that's wrong, <laughs> right? That we can't tolerate, right? We've got to stand for our principles here, principles before personalities. We got to say that what we're trying to do is create a, a situation, a democracy where what the people say, the majority of the people say is going to govern this country. And that's where our United States come from. My answer to Michael's patient who feels pessimistic about government, you know, I want him to get his vaccine. I want him, his material conditions to be improved. You know, he should have access to health care. He should have dignity, a dignified way of life for everybody across the spectrum. My hope is that, you know, because I, I actually agree that government as it's presently constituted is extremely dysfunctional and doesn't seem to be lifting many people out of the misery of you know, the pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. these overlapping crises that we're going mm -hmm. through. And, um, you know, uh, there's a Vox article from 2020. Um, the Republican Party took an unusual approach to writing its convention platform for 2020. It decided not to write one. Uh, it reused mm -hmm. its platform from four years ago, which was written before Trump became president. And if you flash forward to today, um, you know, the group of 10 Republican senators who called on Biden to consider a smaller alternative COVID relief proposal as, as the administration works to pass the $1.9 trillion package. Uh, you know, so uh, 10 Republicans uh, came forward with uh, a counter proposal, 40 remaining senators whose answer to the pandemic is nothing. Uh, we're not even going to come to negotiate. Uh, we're kind of relinquishing the process of governing at this point. And um, I think, you know, uh, there's a narrow opportunity these next two years for us to deliver on, um, you know, answer that, you know, question, you know, what, is the, what does the government do for people? See, Patrick, I think in one way we can't say, see, what, what I'm thinking about this thing that happened with Marjorie Green, is that what her name is? The, Marjorie the, Taylor Green. Yes. So mm -hmm. that whole thing is that for them to put her in a position of any responsibilities with the position she's taking is an abdication, I think, of saying, there has to be some basic standard here. I think what you were saying, Michael, before is if we get rid of disinformation, we say somehow the principle is, is that we want to base our opinions on some kind of, of data, on some truth. Now we got a different thing going on and saying, well, I just think it was a conspiracy, this 9-11 stuff, and it never really happened. See, I mean, you could say anything we want to say. We can have any opinion we want, but do we want someone in a position of authority just being able to make up shit as they fly? I don't. I mean, I would want someone to say, I'm going to at least try. I'm going to strive to bring something forward that's based on some kind of, of reality. Yeah. But see, that's that's where... I mean, th this is where it's just, uh, just still hurts my chest because because we are really dealing with and, and I don't think it's an even split down the middle. I don't I don't think there's 70 million people who who, you know, who are worshiping Donald Trump. I think there's a, there's a good number of those people that are just uh, less less involved, less concerned about some of these things that, and and not and 
different value system in terms of not paying that much attention to the things that we're paying attention to right now. But, but you know, there are the number of the people that are running this other side of this thing. We really, they really are operating off of, to use Kellyanne Conway's uh, invented term, alternate facts. They, they have a different world. If you watch, if you watch their, the information they have is if they're, you know, they're, they're listening, if they're listening to us, they're going like, these guys are, 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 they're they're not right from the get-go because they don't even know what's going on and they and so how do we you know so, so the the baby steps thing the question for me is how do how do we start in little ways conversations with people that are just i don't know just as you know let's go back to the therapy thing sometimes i work with somebody in therapy who's so resistant to the process that my only goal for the, for the therapy to begin with is to give them a positive experience in therapy i don't care if it's going to be i'm going to be validating to them i'm very good at entertaining people i can entertain <laughs> them i've you know i've, I've you know I'll, I'll show you fucking card tricks it's like <laughs> i'll do whatever i need to do for, if, for that particular person if it's going to be if it's going to give you a pleasant experience with with this process so we can get going but it's a matter of just get where do we get where do we even fucking start what i want to do intentionally going forward is really change the topic of conversation like a lot of these 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 things that people are going back and forth on about like abortion for example um i'm really more concerned about uh, equal opportunity i'm concerned about a um about access to health care for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about there being a safety net. I'm concerned about homelessness. I'm concerned about the, uh, a social injustice. Uh, and and if, if there's a way that we can come together, because I think a lot of good, decent people uh, on the left and the right, we, we all can agree that, that we should all have an equal opportunity. Uh, and we don't have that right now. And we can all agree that it's all good for us to have have good health care. So I don't know. I, I don't know what you guys think about that, but I think sometimes maybe we should find things to talk about that we all share common values. And then maybe we may have different ideas about how to go about getting it done. And that that's where constructive conversation can happen. All right. Well, I think I think you're I think you're more liberal than you think you are. <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Yeah. I mean, liberal liberals. That's one of those words that it's, it's not a bad word, but it's but you know, but it's been made into a bad. You know, that shouldn't be. You know, that's like how how did we get the word progressive to be something negative? Right. I know. The word the word is progress. All right. Well, listen. Fantastic discussion again, as usual. And we did solve it, right? I, yeah, we're done. Everybody, <laughs> you know, when, when you said that we need both sides of this for the dialogue, and we really do. Mm-hmm. You yeah, gotta have the dialectic to in order for, for right. integration. But the but you but there is also a way of that 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 dialogue for that to unfold where it's going to lead to an integration. But one of the things I thought about is how we need sometimes that there's this balance going on. This whole idea of the sociobiology, right, that you were talking about, that class you took. I was reading some of Dr. Michael Kerr's work. So he's he's pretty much picked up Dr. Bowen's work on differentiation and, and, and has written a book called Family Evaluation. Phenomenal book on differentiation. Probably the best book out there. 
Michael Kerr family evaluation. So he's talking about this differentiation is this individuality and, and separateness, right? In terms of how we need that. He says is in an ant colony, he goes, there's a very interesting dynamic that takes place. Let's say this ant colony was in conflict with another colony and they lost a bunch of warriors before. Well, somehow the society's need to have more warrior ants produced gets somehow communicated to the queens genetically and they produce an, an aberrant amount of warrior ants now to balance what the community needs out. When I read that, I go, oh my God, this is fascinating that there's something at work here that's beyond anything I could imagine. That's being, that somehow these needs are being communicated genetically. And is that happening in our evolution? Are we communicating the strife that's going on now? And are we communicating that to the children to come in the future? And they're going to have more ability than we have to deal with this. I only hope so. Amen. There may be a force going on here that's bigger than any of us can imagine. And that we may be creating generations to come that are going to have wired into them from this sociobiology and ability to enter into these dialogues better than we can. Beautiful concept. That's so inspiring. Thank uh, you for being here with us, Michael. Oh, it's wonderful, yeah. All right, take care. It's a spiral, not a circle. Goes round, round, round. The full solutions, be your own friend. Never say never in either direction. Look in the mirror, the trust the reflection Deep in your heart, start right here That's where it starts Right here Won't you look to your heart, it's always